I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. This is Lars. Thanks again for checking out my podcast. Enjoy your day and the show, and let's make America great again. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get your phone calls and emails. It is the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And boy, do we have some things to talk about. Would you like a brand new reason to keep your kids away from the failing government-run schools? Well, I've got that reason for you. But first, I want to invite you to the show. If you'd like to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, I'll give you the question in a bit. Uh, glad to do that. But this is really concerning. You've heard the concerns of parents who think that the public schools failed their kids during the pandemic. And the pandemic was used as a convenient excuse for teachers and teachers unions to say, yes, we failed your kids. No, your kids did not learn what they were supposed to be learning. But go ahead and send them back to us anyway. We've already got your money. Well, that isn't working for a lot of parents. In fact, across America, literally millions of parents have pulled their kids out of public schools. In Oregon and Washington and Idaho, an awful lot of parents have said, I don't care if you've got my money, you're not going to do this to my kids. But it gets more evil than that. Let me cite some of the reporting that's been done by the Daily Mail, not by the major newspapers of the Pacific Northwest, but by the Daily Mail out of Great Britain their story about a survey that is being sent out statewide in the state of Oregon. The survey is aimed at 6th, 8th, and 11th graders. So these are kids as, long, as young as 11 years of age. Now, the survey was actually launched in 2020, the pandemic year. In other words, they launched a survey of students, and you say, well, what kind of big deal would that be? 
It asks sixth graders, so these are 11 and 12 year olds, to define their gender and their sexuality. Now, I'd ask you, if you have a six year old or an 11 year old sixth grader, a boy or a girl, would they even know what you were talking about if you ask them to define their gender and their sexuality? They say the whole point of the survey is to make sure that students are healthy and successful learners by finding out about their sexuality at the ripe old age of 11 or 12, by defining their gender for a state agency. Because remember, no matter what else you think of the public schools, they are a government operation. They are constrained by the Constitution. And yes, kids have constitutional rights as well. Sixth graders have been asked to fill out, and this is in Oregon. I don't know whether it's happening in Washington State, although it would not surprise me. They're being asked to fill out a state health survey and to find their gender and sexuality with 12 different options. Some of those options include words like demi-boy and demi-girl and a-gender. A-gender, if they're doing it within the English language, means you don't have any gender at all. And you're going to make that decision at age 11 or 12? Yeah, sixth grade kids are asked in questions 13 through 76 whether or not they would define themselves as a girl or as a boy. And then get this, Native American kids, but not kids of other racial or ethnic backgrounds, are given the option of defining their gender as two-spirit a person who identifies as both masculine and feminine. Talk about something that is potentially confusing for an 11 or 12-year-old. Question 14, as the Daily Mail reports, asks whether or not they consider themselves to be transgender, again, at age 11 or 12. For question 15, they're given 10 different options of transgender, pansexual, asexual, and aromatic. I don't know, does that mean you didn't wear any un underarm uh, deodorant or anything? Additional replies include lesbian, gay, straight, bisexual, queer, or something that fits better, or I'm not sure of my sexuality. Now, all of the questions do include the escape hatch of an answer that says, I don't know what this is asking, or I'd prefer not to answer. They apparently don't have nunya, as in nunya business. Oregon's Health Authority, which is pushing this thing through the public schools, says the survey is purely voluntary. But here's the trick. The parents are informed that their kids will be asked questions in a survey. Now, what they don't say is what the survey is about. Do they give a, a copy of the survey to the parents? No, they do not. No, they're asked, would you be okay with your kids taking a survey? But not what the survey involves. They're also asked about their dietary and exercise habits, about their access at, at age 11 or 12 to alcohol and drugs, and whether or not they've ever seen a doctor or a dentist, and whether or not they've seen one recently. Parents are then told that the anonymous results can inform your school's needs assessment and strategic planning, whatever that means. The state says it employs, and get this, this is where it gets tricky and I think deceptive, an active parental notification, passive parental permission model, whereby parents are notified of the survey, they can then sign a form and return it to the school if they choose to exclude their student. However, they're not told what's inside the survey. So they might just think, okay, the schools have yet another survey. Can't be about anything complicated. Guess what parents are saying? One mother responded saying, this isn't new. My son was given a youth truth survey in sixth grade, and he was asked these kinds of questions, and that was four years ago. The district broke the law by not telling parents in advance. One mom said, my son cried. He didn't understand, and he thought he marked it wrong. Another one said, 
I have a sixth grader. This question is beyond inappropriate to ask. And, you know, I would agree with that parent. It is inappropriate to push kids to answer these kinds of questions. My friend's response, funny, the school district sent out a consent form asking parents if their kids could take this, but they failed to tell us what was on it. I have a feeling it is why, so I refused. This is all from the reporting of the Daily Mail, not from the reporting of the major media here in the Pacific Northwest. And then get this, one parent said they handed out prizes for kids who took it. I blanking hate this state. And another one said, I'm the parent of a sixth grader. I dare my daughter's school to try something like this here. They get away with it in liberal states because people there allow it. He's actually writing from Texas. And the thing is, he says, fun fact, I'm not a Republican. Another one pointed out the questions are wildly inappropriate. At that age, I definitely would have answered something ludicrous just for my own entertainment. Now, I want you to consider this. This is what the schools are doing. They are indoctrinating your kids about some really strange things involving sexuality, involving gender, and involving things that I think I could say most 11 and 12-year-olds don't have the first clue about. The question is, are you going to leave your kids in that kind of environment, and are you going to keep paying the bill to have your schools paid for and do this kind of thing to your kids. Coming up in a moment, the Northwest nonsense. We'll get to that, then your phone calls and emails. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Biggest hate crime of this year. Governor Kate Brown has commuted the death sentences of 17 killers. Now, I would consider that hateful toward the families of the victims and the juries that sentenced those killers and the voters of the state of Oregon. Kate Brown has had a staffer call some of the families just a couple of hours before she made her big public pronouncement. I'm sure she's very proud. Why, I'm a Democrat governor. I'm not going to be holding office in about a month. Why don't I just uh, give a big Christmas present to a whole bunch of convicted killers and not only killers, but the worst of the worst. Governor Brown arrogantly substitutes her own personal morals for the will of the voters. Of course, late-term Kate Brown is happy to spend taxpayer money to fly women from all over America to the state of Oregon from other states to get abortions at taxpayer expense. But, of course, that involves killing the innocent. She's okay with that. Her new decision involves sparing the guilty. I know, Democrats need double standards or, hey, they'd have no standards at all. Brown cancels out decisions made by juries that were forced to listen to weeks of testimony about the most grisly murders you could ever imagine to be able to determine the guilt of that person. Then they had to listen to even more grisly testimony before making the tough call to send the killer to death row. Kate Brown just undid all that. Is that hateful toward juries? I would say so. And who benefits? Well, people like Christian Longo, who murdered his wife and three tiny children and dumped their bodies in the ocean, then took a plane down to Cancun and was partying when they finally caught up with him. He isn't going to face execution. Like the Turnages, father and son, who put a bomb in a Woodburn bank 14 years ago and murdered two cops who responded trying to save the lives of others. They get to keep their lives. Not one of the 50 states in America has voted out the death penalty over the last half century. That is literally true. Not one state have the voters voted to get rid of the death penalty in the last half a century. And in Oregon, well, Oregon voted in the death penalty not once, but twice within that last 50 years. A two-thirds majority of voters still supports the death penalty, and Governor Kate Brown just gave them all the big middle finger on her way out the door. Now, how could any crime get more hateful than that? 
Greg Waddy writes in, Lars, now that Gavin Newsom's been to the southern border and the media is now covering the news down there, it's apparently the media, apparent the media has actually picked their candidate. Biden will probably by summer announce that he's getting tough on the border. Now that the damage has already been done, they will pivot and push for amnesty and how to address the people who are already here illegally. The Democrats and Joe Biden now want to play both arsonist and firefighter. And today's question of the day, why is the major Northwest media carrying water for a bunch of shyster indigent defense attorneys who simply want more cash? I'm going to call out K2, the ABC affiliate in particular. Their own news story supplies the information to refute the story. They say on any given day, hundreds of people who are charged with a crime in Oregon don't have an attorney. They say it's a problem because the U.S. Constitution gives them that right. Well, let me point something out to you. This is a scam by indigent defense lawyers, and it's shameful. What's worse is the major media are carrying water for it. Indigent cases filed by prosecutors are down by more than 40%. Why? Because there are fewer arrests and even fewer prosecutions. And yet funding for indigent defense attorneys is up 52% in the last 10 years. That's more than 5% per year. Now, did you get a 5% raise every year for the last 10 years? No, me neither. And yet here are these attorneys saying, oh, we can't possibly represent these people. We've only had our paychecks go up 50% the last 10 years. And the number of things we have to do, defend indigent defense cases, has gone down 40%. Well, now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really the way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it, serving Southwest Washington. I'm sure that this Daily Grill is going to hit some of you where you live. It's the cat tax, Oregon's corporate activity tax. And as Jerry Ritter from Springfield pointed out to me, he's writing at the Eugene Weekly. He says, have you tried to get a prescription filled at Walgreens since Bymart closed its pharmacies and sold that business? At least in our area, it's virtually impossible unless you have an hour or more to wait in line. The branches are understaffed and overwhelmed. And have you ever wondered why Bymart closed its pharmacy business? Well, that's because Oregon imposed what's called a corporate activity tax. In other words, you pay a tax on the gross amount of business you do in dollars, no matter how much money you made or lost on that deal. The Oregon State Pharmacy Association says the Oregon cat tax threw fuel on the fire. Worse is that wholesalers have passed along their share of the tax, so the pharmacies now have to pay double. And guess who ultimately suffers? Yeah, individual citizens in line to try to get a prescription. Today's best email, but you can always send more, to talk at LarsLarson.com, is brought to you by the MEI Group one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest, currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. TheMEIGroup.com. Todd in uh, Troutdale, listening on the Radio Northwest Network, says, Lars, the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper indicates that Portland Public Schools are now in conversations with the Police Bureau to reintroduce school resource officers back into some of the schools after a drive-by at one high school last week. So now the same police force that targets people of color, false, and frightens high school students, what a joke, has reformed enough that they're being asked back in. They never should have been taken out in the first place, and the school board and the superintendent should have to publicly apologize for caving into the woke mob. The other thing that's obvious here, and the media won't even say, is that these drive-bys are clearly gang-related. 
I'll tell you what, Todd, you did hear that on this show. The head of the FBI for Portland said two-thirds of the shootings and the murders are attributable to gang activity, and most of the gangs are made up of, guess what, people of color. The gang enforcement team, a group that could have used its contacts and tactics to get thugs like these shooters off the street, doesn't exist anymore within the police bureau because, of course, its pursuits were deemed to be racist. This whole thing is disgusting, signed Todd in Troutdale. To your calls now, it's a Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And we always say naysayers go to the head of the line. David's a naysayer. Hey, David, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening. What's on your mind, and what do you and I disagree about today? Hi, Lars. Um, it's not necessarily just you, but in general, media outlets. Um, I believe that the country is... Us as a nation, you know, the Civil War and the Revolutionary War were all bloody, and and all of the Democrats or the opposing side that I confront with this say it doesn't need to come to violence. Well, um, it shouldn't come to violence, but I feel like we need to promote us taking our country back because us, the citizens, with this tyrannical government, the tyranny that's happening, it's going to take a civil war, a revolutionary war, something along those lines. I have a hotel, all the taxes we're paying. Um, just in general, um, I believe we need to, uh, this was a false and stolen election. And I believe us, along with media outlets like yourself, we need to promote some sort of change. And, and I if hate you're to asking that, me to promote be- a civil war, I'm not going to do that, David. No. But what I will promote is you going to the people in office, whether we agree with them or not. In most cases, we won't because they're from the other political party and the other side of the ideological aisle and make what their about life make their life what? difficult. In other words, you say to those mayors, governors, county commissioners, city council members, you say, you will change these things, and we're going to keep yelling at you. But legally, petitioning your government for redress of grievances, is it a civil war? No. Is it possible to get to that? Yeah, it is. Am I promoting that today? No, I'm not. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I know a lot of you probably hear us talking about issues like the transgender issue, and you hear me saying this is going to be a slippery slope and the collateral damage is going to be widespread. And you say, yeah, yeah, I'm not involved in any of that. I don't know anybody who's transgender, so it's not going to affect me. And then we start pointing out to you, it's affecting your kids in school. It's affecting the use of locker rooms and bathrooms. But I I didn't even imagine that it could go this far. Can you imagine this? You're a young lady and you're concerned about the current state of law enforcement almost anywhere in America. Uh, and you say, maybe I'll take a self-defense class. So I'm going to sign up for a women's only self-defense class. Well, guess what? The transgender issue is there as well. And Nathan Walner joins me now. He owns a jujitsu studio and an MMA school in Newport. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Lars. You wrote to me because you said you've got a concern. You said we offered a free women's self-defense class. It's the fourth one you've offered for free, but it caught the attention of the woke community. What happened next? Yes, sir. So I put it out online about a week before, and just like I had before, trying to whip up a little bit of momentum and get people excited about it. And the wrong person saw it, I guess. And, And next thing I knew, I was having a fight to define what is a woman. And it was unbelievable, really, the backlash that came. I got a bunch of hate DM, DMs from people, but 
Uh, the nice part is I got as much support as I did uh, hate from people. So that gave me a little bit of hope to keep it going. And we had it. It was successful. And I look forward to having more. Okay, but let me ask you this. There, there, there has to be both a physical and a physics reason that you might want to have a class that's exclusively for women. Am I right in guessing that? Absolutely. Uh, whether people like to believe it or not, there's absolutely a physical difference between men and women, and especially that comes through in a self-defense situation. So what happens if you get somebody who is a transgender but is a good-sized former male who now says he identifies as a woman? That person shows up and says, I want to take the class along with all the other biological women you have in the class. Well, that was my problem, and, and really, I just wanted to create a safe space for women. Lars, I've had so many good women in my life, from my grandma, my mom, I had sisters, I'm married, I have a beautiful daughter, and I just want to give back to the community. That's the skill set that I have and that I've acquired over my, my lifetime is, is good for fighting and self-defense, and I wanted to give that to the women of the community, and I just got the worst backlash for it. By the way, I should mention that in your background, I don't want to leave this out, U.S. Air Force veteran, professional MMA veteran, second-degree jiu-jitsu black belt, father of two and happily married, you've got all the skills and all the background to be able to teach women how to defend themselves. You've got women in your own family, and I would imagine they know how to defend themselves. Yeah, well, I've been training with my daughter since as, as, uh, as soon as she could walk. Both of my kids grew up on the mats, so... Uh, they're going to be well-versed in self-defense, but it's not just about my kids. Of course, my kids are going to be. I want to do what I can for my community. I want to you know, empower my community and make it as safe as I can. And my thought was, let me help half of the community out by giving a free women's self-defense class. So tell me this. I'm talking to Nathan Waller. He owns a jiu-jitsu and MMA. They should come up with a name that's easier to say for old guys like me. Yeah. MMA school in Newport. <laughs> but what happens next because if if you by just posting one little notice women only safe space for women to come and learn some self-defense and you immediately get attacked you said you've had to ban a lot of people from even being on your social media is that right yeah yeah i blocked a bunch of people because you know what they try to do is they love saying gaslighting that's like the trendy word you know for this community and they're the biggest hypocrites when it comes to that stuff so uh, I had people that they tried to switch it around and to make it sound like I said women that can't have babies can't come in, and uh, you know they just they got they got crazy and took it out of control and it it really just started to annoy me at that point. There was no reason I was never going to talk some sense into these people and just let them know I wanted to help women only. It was a losing battle. So yeah, I blocked a bunch of people. And uh, at the same time, you know, I'm getting messages from other women who are saying, thank you for standing up for us. Thank you for doing this for the community and for women. And that made me feel so good. You know, that's what really gave me the courage to keep going with it is um, more people probably than than were against me were, were in support. Well, here's what I'm concerned about, Nathan, because a lot like the Americans with Disabilities Act, that was a, a perfectly good law as it was conceived. And then people figured out how to game the law 
and lawyers and some people would go out and they would deliberately target businesses and say, let's find problems and then essentially shake the business down and say, well, it turns out that the aisle in your store isn't quite wide enough. And you actually haven't had any complaints from real ADA people. Uh, but but we're going to launch a complaint unless you're willing to you know, b- basically buy your way out of it. It allowed a sort of a legal extortion. And what I worry about is that a guy like you thinks, OK, I got some abuse online, uh, took care of most of that social media stuff. I've got big support from the community. What happens when somebody files a formal complaint and says you're discriminating in a state like Oregon where you've got laws on the books that say you can't discriminate? Uh, somebody could come after you almost any time, couldn't they? Well, so uh, one of the things that I did was my, my gym is a private gym, and I did this. I held this after hours, so it wasn't during, you know, normal hours, Lars, I want everybody in here. I'll take anybody, yeah. absolutely. And that's, it's always been that way, of course. Um, but I held this after hours, and it was a private event, and I think that that's kind of what, what made it so I could, I could do it without anybody really trying to mess with me too bad. But somebody went as far as complaining to uh, the Bureau of Labor and Industry, BOLI, and I got a letter in the mail, and it said this is not a formal complaint, but this is just a notification to let you know that somebody said you could be failing in this area, which is, it's, it's actually, for me, it's so laughable. It's a, the piece of paper itself, I'm going to frame it because it's such a sign of the times. And uh, I, it's, it's really, it's a good story for normal people out there who, who know that women should be able to have women's only self-defense. Well, but the reality for, is... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, you, the, you said the reality, the reality is... is yeah, I, I, I do. I do have to worry about that kind of stuff. You know, somebody trying to come in. So what does that mean? I have a kids program here too, Lars. Does that mean a 45-year-old man could come in and identify as a six-year-old girl and join my kids' class? Is that what's next? I wouldn't put it past him. And frankly, I was going to say, I hate with an, an Air Force veteran to mix in a Navy metaphor, but it sounds like Bowley was putting a shot across your bow saying, watch yeah. out, you could be in trouble. Is <laughs> yeah. that the way you read it? Uh, you know, yeah, it was. It was. It was a warning from the woke community. They managed. They don't really. They didn't have anything on me. That's the thing, Lars. So, uh, you know, I ran it by a couple of my lawyer buddies, and they all said it's it's nonsense. It means absolutely nothing because I did nothing wrong. You know, what what is the if this keeps going and they want it to keep going, and I'll keep going with it. You know, I, I plan on having more women's self defense classes. So, if this keeps going, what's next then? Are we just not? Everybody has to have their own class, or uh, you know, is everything going to be co-ed, or are we just going to throw away men and women? Is that what hey, we're doing now? There's no such if thing. If that's as what men. they want to do, Nathan, I you know, I've had people say, if you want to solve the problem, don't have male and female classes. Say we'll have track and field. It's open to all. But you know what's going to happen is transgender former men and biological men are going to win everything. And women aren't. I mean, the differences are gigantic. Like I looked up the other day, men beat the four minute mile about uh, 70 years ago. Women have never done it. The closer they come is 420. So if you say, are women ever going to be able to run a four minute mile? Maybe. But but in in the decades since men beat the four minute while there hasn't been a single woman able to do it. And, you say, and now is that talking down about women? Of course not. It's just saying, like you said at the beginning, there is a difference. That's just it. so people know, I want you to tell them the name of your school because I want you to get more good reviews and I want a community that will defend you. What is it? Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's the Tsunami Training Center. Uh, we've been running here since 2019. I've got nothing but five stars on Google. 
Um, we've created a lot of jujitsu champions in a short time, and uh, I've done nothing but try to help this community as much as I can. So, Absolutely. That's Nathan Walner from the uh, Tsunami Jiu-Jitsu Center. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get to your phone calls and emails next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon, for the past now almost 23 years. It'll be 23 years on January 1st. So thank you very much for being part of our success throughout the Northwest. Our Twitter poll today, should someone born a man be allowed in a women's self-defense class? I would say no to that. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. And if you don't want to go to Twitter, although Twitter's much better than it was just a month ago, uh, you can go to our website at LarsLarson.com. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. I want to give you a little warning about something that is coming. And let me tell you, that a lot of times what the government does is that when they want to reach in your pocket, they try something to uh, insinuate their way in. It's a very sneaky method. Here's what's happening, and this is Washington State. The Washington State Transportation Commission has just approved a program to institute a two and a half cents per mile road tax. Drivers would pay two and a half cents for every mile driven on publicly funded roads under the recommendation. The commission would recommend that starting in 2025, so just about two years from now, drivers could voluntarily participate in the program as long as they own cars that get more than 25 miles per gallon. Electric car owners would qualify for refunds on the licensing fees. First of all, uh, depending on how they plan to track the miles you drive, if they're talking about a GPS device in your car, watch out. They will make it voluntary at the front end, and then once they've got it properly instituted or improperly instituted, they'll make it mandatory for everyone. The idea that electric car owners should be forgiven from paying the costs? No, they should not. The fact is we've already subsidized electric car owners to an absolutely stratospheric degree. We've given many of them thousands and thousands of dollars off the cost of buying their cars. We have had subsidies that went to people like Elon Musk. Uh, yes, I like what he's doing at Twitter, not so much on the public subsidy end of things. And then what happens? You say you bought a car that in theory could be cheaper, although I think in the long run is not going to be any cheaper than a gasoline-powered car. It has other limitations on it. And now they're going to forgive them from paying the licensing fees or the road mile tax fee. The system doesn't make any sense. Usually, I would assume that Rube Goldberg or somebody like that had invented this crazy system. In Oregon, they've talked about tracking you by GPS. And at that point, they can then say, well, if you drive to work during certain congested hours of the day, you're going to pay a higher fee. Now, they're not going to do that at the front end. In a lot of ways, government is like a heroin dealer. Yeah, the first couple of hits is smack, that comes free of charge. No obligation whatsoever, because they know that once they get their foot in the door, then they say, now nah, we're going to make it mandatory, everybody has to do it. And now we're going to have congestion pricing. So you're going to pay more for every mile you drive if you drive when the roads are congested. That will decongest them. Do you know what they're doing in that case? They're throwing the poor people off the roads. That's, that's the bottom line of it. I mean, this is a bunch of progressives who run the state of Oregon, who run the state of Washington, uh, Democrat majorities in Olympia, Democrat majorities in Salem, Democrat governors in both states. 
These folks are supposedly progressives, and yet this policy is deliberately aimed at discriminating against those who don't make as much money by saying, oh, you, you don't get a big paycheck? Get off the damn road. Let the people with the big paycheck go down the road. You say, well, Lars, you, got, you have a good paycheck. Yes, I do. I can afford the fee. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right, even though in personal terms, it would benefit me. And this is what they're going to do. They're going to say, it's voluntary. Try it out. It'll be cool. And you only get to do it if your car already gets more than 25 miles per gallon. So the electric cars don't have to pay at all. The high mileage cars get to be in the program. The lower mileage cars that a lot of people have to drive because of the nature of their work, you don't qualify. And at some point, they will slam it down on everyone. Let's go to Jim. Hey, Jim, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Well, it's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, so I'm always, I'm a tinfoil hat kind of guy, so I'm always looking at the things that's happening with our kids in the schools and everywhere else, and I'm just trying to figure out where, uh, I mean, we know kind of where it's headed, but where, how did it get started? And, and how does the government have any say or rule in anything that we do with our children? They're not supposed to have any say or rule over us, and nope. now they're trying to step between us and our children. Yes, they are. They're driving the a big fat. That I know that went away. I'm older. I'm 48 years old. I used to get in a fist fight once in a while in the school playground. We'd get in trouble. We'd get suspended. We'd get expelled for the day or suspended for the day or in-house suspension, whatever. Okay? All of that's gone away. So kids now show up to school with a gun to clear out the last 20 people that made them angry. Yep. So how do we turn that around, and how do we force the government back into a situation where they're doing work for us? I'll tell you what, the short answer is it starts small. It always starts small. The virtual ban on smoking cigarettes, I don't smoke cigarettes, so I don't have a dog in the fight, started with no smoking in elevators. And everybody went, oh, okay, oh, yeah. that's, that's small. And then it was no smoking in government buildings. Then it was no smoking in public buildings. Then it was no smoking anywhere, even within 25 feet of a window. That's how they start, small. The way we should start to fight back is small, too. Run for the school board get a conservative majority on the school board. San Francisco did it. If San Francisco can do it and put conservatives on a school board, you can too. And then you start pushing back saying, you will not drive a wedge between parents and their children. We will not allow any policy that does that. So I've, got friends, I've got friends that are on the uh, Republican National Committee here in Washington and other places that I know, and I've had friends that have run for school board positions and stuff up here, and they literally get shunned out the door. And run and win. Run and win. And if you're the only conservative voice on the school board, it is still one voice and one vote, and it'll make a difference. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits. At least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. 
That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to do that in a moment. Have you stopped to think about the fact that we've seen a gigantic increase in attacks on police, not just here in the Pacific Northwest, but along with the rising tide of violent crime and murders? A new record has already been eclipsed in the city of Portland. I think Seattle's headed for another record as well and records around the country when it comes to violent crime, but also attacks on police. And some of those attacks, at least by my read, are not just coming from the violent criminals. They're coming from the government. I took note of the fact uh, that last week the Portland Police Bureau, in this case, decided that they would end their practice of withholding the names of officers who are involved in deadly force use. And in most cases, almost all cases, uh, use of deadly force is judged to be within the rules of the department, within the laws of the state. And I've always told you that's my standard. I back the cops as long as they stay within the laws and stay within the, you know, the, the, the practices and policies of their department. So I wanted to ask somebody about it and say, how do the cops view this? Well, Aaron Schmautz is the p- president of the Portland Police Association, the union for the cops in the Rose City. Aaron, welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. Glad to be what here. Should- what should we make of this change in practice to say an officer involved in using deadly force or involved in an in-custody death, we're going to tell the public who this officer is. What, why are they doing this, and what effect does it have on the officer? Well, you know, the, the policy up until July was that we would release the name, barring any overt and named threat, within 24 hours which is hugely impactful on officer safety. You know, these events happen. They have to talk to their family. They have to figure out, you know, am I going to be doxxed? And we've seen protesters showing up at our shootings after they happen, and we're, you know, the investigation hasn't even begun yet. We've had officers with, you know, people showing up at their homes uh, and threatening their family, threatening their children. Um, and so I was thankful that we put a pause on that policy um, while we discussed what we could do. Oregon does have public records laws, so we have to provide the information at some point. But, you know, 15 days isn't as far as I was hoping we would go. But at least in this case, it, it provides us an opportunity to protect our members. Okay, so uh, you've this got is not some... about transparency. And you said, I'm sorry, Aaron, you said it's not about transparency. Then what is it really about? I mean, look, the moment this new policy was released, we heard uh, several people who historically do not Uh, support law enforcement or have very strong perspectives about law enforcement, says that this impacts transparency. At the end of the day, transparency is about finding out what happened, not about threatening police officers. It is not about finding out what happened quickly without, you know, individual parts of it. It's about finding truly what did the officers encounter and what did they do. And my frustration ultimately is transparently, our members have been threatened as a result of their names being released. And the community, I hope, understands that all we care about is taking care of them and then when we do things that they have questions about, doing the investigation and getting it right. Um, So releasing officers' names quickly, that right to do so does get hampered when people who say they want transparency then turn around and threaten police officers' families. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Aaron, because, look, you, it might not surprise you, Aaron, that I like getting information out of public agencies. And usually it's yep. like pulling teeth, even when it's stuff that is clearly releasable. They'll put up all kinds of roadblocks, not just to me, because I don't have any rights that any other citizen doesn't have. That might surprise you, but, you know, reporters don't have any special subpoena power, special power to pry loose records. But 
when you and, and frankly, if the name is released within 15 days or 30 days or, or a couple of months, it still allows you, if you say, we want to find out if there's a pattern that a particular officer yep. keeps getting involved in violent incidents, it doesn't always mean the officer is wrong. They're, the officers yeah. that are working the active districts yeah. are going to get involved in more of those incidents, right? Correct. And, you know, and the reality is, is that, you know, I've heard some other people say things like, well, we want to know if the officer that we're interacting with has been involved in some incident that hasn't been investigated yet. Well, when the officers are involved in these incidents, they're placed on administrative leave as per standard practice around our country until the investigation is complete. Um, and so, again, this is not about not investigating. We're, we're doing that and we do it really well. We, and, you know, our investigations are super open. They involve the DA's office. They involve investigators from East, the East County Metro team to make sure that our investigation is done, again, transparently. Um, but we've just got to make sure that, that the need for information does not mean that these officers who, again, are experiencing, just like our community, extreme violence. Um, the origin of this change in policy was we had an event where someone tried to shoot and murder one of our officers during a domestic violence incident, and deadly force was used. And before that incident was investigated, people were showing up and threatening that officer's family. And I, we just we can't we can't ignore the fact that our public servants do a very dangerous job, and one of those dangers should not be just pointless threats from a, a small group of people who have no interest in actual community safety. See, I'm with you because, Aaron, I still remember a cop. I won't name him, but it's been years ago. He had a domestic violence. He ended up shooting a guy. The guy was about to hit his wife with, a, with an axe and probably kill her. And the woman then, you know, decided to stalk the officer and it put him through six kinds of hell. And in the end, he ended up, you know, pretty messed up and out of policing altogether. It has, it yep. has, all the officers are humans too. And if you think that any of the officers are cowboys who say, yeah, I put the beat down on a guy and he died in my custody and they just go home and kick their feet up on the couch or on the, on the coffee table, that's not how human beings react. Even if, if what they did was completely justified and they know it, they, they still are going to suffer from uh, some anguish over, over being involved in the death of a human being, right? Yeah, you know, deadly force is the most difficult decision any human would ever make, let alone law enforcement. We're placed in these circumstances, and you do the best you can. And again, we got to get it right. It's, it's important that we do these investigations. But, you know, our officers deal with more critical incidents in a day than most humans do in their lifetime. And we have to understand that, that it is important that we keep them whole. They are city employees, just like anyone who works for the Water Bureau or anyone who works for any other division of the city. They're afforded due process like any other you know, citizen in America. And you know, we got to get past this kind of like, you know, combative relationship with, with our law enforcement professionals as if they are just kind of pods. They're humans. they got families. And I mean, look, Lars, I, I was doxxed years and years and years ago, and I got phone calls from people who were saying my wife's name by name, threatening to rape her when I was at work, you know, saying the name of my children's school. This is not acceptable behavior, and we have to call it out and call it what it is. I think you're absolutely right. Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time, and, uh, and I hope that officers get treated decently, and I hope uh, the, those elements of the community that want to come after them just because they're cops, uh, that they just, uh, you know, Stop Stop doing this. It's not helping anybody at all. That's Aaron Schmautz, who's the president of the Portland Police Association. And this is an issue uh, essentially just about anywhere in America. Glad to be with you. In a moment, 
Donald Trump made a major announcement today. And no, it wasn't about uh, something small. It was about something big involving social media and what he plans to do after he takes the oath of after he takes the oath of office in January of 2025. Interesting to hear. I'll talk about what he had to say coming up next. And you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. If we don't have free speech, then we just don't have a free country. It's as simple as that. Absolutely agree with Donald Trump, former president of the United States, who is now anticipating taking the oath of office in January of 2025. Now, I guess that's the point of view of a winner, and I would have to agree with him. But free speech is absolutely essential. Now, for most of this week, uh, we've been hearing anticipated a big announcement from Donald Trump. And I had to actually agree, it was a big announcement. And no, some of the, some folks tried to say, it's all about some kind of non-fungible tokens or things like that. No, it was about something that he says he will do absolutely to preserve American free speech, to shut down the political use by people within our government of social media. And he's even got some things that he wants to see happen right now if Republicans are willing to preserve the evidence to make sure that those who've been misusing their government positions and misusing the relationship between government and social media, he wants some things done by Republicans right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to be with you. I'll be glad to get your phone calls and emails in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers, you always go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can always vote in our Twitter poll. Two places to do that, at Lars Larson Show on Twitter and LarsLarson.com on our website. Also, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past now almost 23 years. It'll be 23 years on January 1st. But about what Donald Trump was talking about, he says that there has been a conspiracy going on, and he outlined that in his announcement today. Take a listen. That a sinister group of deep state bureaucrats, Silicon Valley tyrants, left-wing activists, and depraved corporate news media have been conspiring to manipulate and silence the American people. They have collaborated to suppress vital information on everything from elections to public health. The censorship cartel must be dismantled and destroyed, and it must happen immediately. And here's my plan. Now, I'll First, tell you more about his plan in just a moment, but let me point this out to you. As recently as two months ago, You'd have heard Donald Trump talking about this deep state conspiracy and Silicon Valley folks and people in social media and said, oh, that's more of Donald Trump's conspiracy. I just want you to consider all of the things that Trump over about the last six years has said this is happening and he was called a liar. And then we found out later it actually was happening. He said that the FBI was wiretapping Trump Tower and he was called a liar. And then it turned out to be true. He said the information on Joe Biden's son, Hunter's laptop, showed that there was a conspiracy by Hunter Biden to peddle influence using his dad, who was then vice president, to make big bucks in Ukraine and Moscow and Beijing. And he was called a liar. In fact, the New York Post was called the New York Post was worse than called a liar. The New York Post was described as peddling Russian misinformation, except now we know. They weren't doing anything of the kind. They were actually putting out a legitimate story, which was then shut down and not just shut down by a private company. Any private company. I can decide on my talk show 
that I'm going to talk about a subject or not. I can decide to let a guest on or not. I can let callers come in or not. It's all my decision because I publish this talk show. I have certain responsibilities. Social media doesn't have to do that. They have special protection against liability, but only if they act as a platform. A platform does not get to say, we like this message, let it out there. We don't like the, say, New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop and the sleazy dealings of the Biden crime family. We're not going to let that story out. And yet that's exactly what they did. And Trump announced today he's anticipating a win in the election in 2024 and taking the oath of office the next month and listen to what he plans to do. Within hours of my inauguration, I will sign an executive order banning any federal department or agency from colluding with any organization, business or person to censor, limit, categorize or impede the lawful speech of American citizens. I will then ban federal money from being used to label domestic speech as mis- or disinformation. Now, what Trump's talking about is a real problem for Americans. I had a caller this week who said, Lars, does Twitter tell people how to vote? And I said, no, I don't think it's accurate to say that Twitter or Facebook or Google tells you how to vote. But I pointed out to him, if I had the power to control every bit of information that you as a voter heard... I could make sure to make you vote for the person I want you to vote for. I don't seek that kind of power. Twitter did under its previous ownership. I believe that Facebook does under its current ownership. I believe that Google does. I believe that most of the fang, you know, Facebook and, uh, and Google uh, and Netflix and the rest, they want to push a particular message. And what Trump points out in this announcement today is that this is violating the civil rights of American citizen, citizens. It is breaking federal laws. It is violating election laws. And there's another law called the Hatch Act. And what the Hatch Act says in basics, because it's, it can be imposed at both the federal level and the state level, it says if you hold a public office or you work for a government agency, you are not at all allowed to use any of the resources at your disposal to try to push a particular message, to back a candidate, to back an issue or a policy. You're not allowed to do that under the Hatch Act. And what Donald Trump suggests is that Section 230, that gives social media special protection from liability, it should be done away with altogether. But he has one other specific suggestion he made today. And I wish I heard every Republican and every real conservative out there making this same suggestion. He wants to find out exactly how much of the public's resources were used to guide the messaging and to silence certain voices to make the outcome of elections go out the way that people in those government agencies wanted it to turn out. So he's asking Republicans to make sure that all of the evidence gets preserved. Listen to this. To assist in these efforts, I am urging House Republicans to immediately send preservation letters. And we have to do this right now to the Biden administration, the Biden campaign, and every Silicon Valley tech giant, ordering them not to destroy evidence of censorship. Third, upon my inauguration as president, I will ask Congress to send a bill to my desk revising Section 230 to get big online platforms out of censorship business. From now on, digital platforms should only qualify for immunity protection under Section 230 if they meet high standards of neutrality, 
transparency, fairness, and non-discrimination. Let me point this out to you, that Donald Trump is making a suggestion. Okay, he's also saying what he will do if elected. Now, you might scoff at that idea. People scoffed at the idea of his first election. Fine. No matter what you think of him, what do you think of this idea? That government worked in concert with some of the biggest tech companies in America, some of the biggest tech companies literally in the world. They conspired together. The FBI went to Twitter and said, make sure that nobody sees that story. In, in particular, it was the New York Post story about Hunter Biden. Ask yourself, no matter what your political leanings are, whether you're right or left, Republican or Democrat, a Trump fan or a Trump hater, ask yourself if it's the right thing to do for government to conspire with private companies to try to artificially affect the votes of American citizens. And if you think it is okay for them to do that, I'd love to take your naysayer call at 866-439-5277. You're listening to Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your calls in a moment, but I want to give you a warning. I talk a lot about energy on this show. I think it is one of the biggest assets that America has, which we're now ignoring. It is one of the biggest liabilities, potentially, not just in supplying the energy, because America has decided, because the green energy agenda is being pushed, to get rid of the thing that produces over half of all our electricity, and that is coal and other kinds of fossil fuels, but it's not just about generating power, because that's one problem. The other problem is actually getting the power where it needs to go. And I point out that if you think this isn't a problem and, oh, America's got lots of capacity, just this year, you saw California say, well, we've got a lot of wind power, but we don't have the grid to actually get all the wind that's coming from the windmills because the wind's blowing right mm -hmm. now to where it needs to go. But then there's a new problem. You might have heard, we've talked about it on the show, the fact that on both the East Coast and the West Coast, there have been attacks that look like coordinated attacks that have happened involving the electric power grid. And I wanted to get some more on this, so I got Ken Davis on, who's an energy expert and former Deputy Attorney General for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, Ken, welcome back to the program. Lars, uh, thanks. It's, uh, it's great to be able to spend some time with you this afternoon and discuss what you rightly highlight as a very serious problem, the threats and growing threats to the security of the uh, transmission and distribution grid. There have been attacks. There was, um, in early December, saboteurs fired their guns into the heavy equipment at two separate North Carolina substations, knocking out power to about 45,000 people for four days. It, um, it took that long to restore power because uh, utility crews just couldn't repair the equipment that had been shot up. They had to bring in, they had to find and uh, truck in um, replacement equipment, including heavy transformers. Transformers are a key part in every substation. They regulate the uh, voltage or the electric pressure of the power going through the system to keep it running smoothly. And so this was a big deal. They, uh, they've made no arrests or identified any suspects. Uh, law enforcement has um, stated that, uh, as you point out, these are not isolated. The North Carolina attacks are not an isolated incidents. Um, there have been attacks recently in uh, 
Oregon and uh, and Washington. And um, law enforcement officials say this is a growing threat that the, these kind of planned and coordinated intentional attacks on the critical infrastructure and substations are increasing. Um, I, I, I got to ask you this, though, Ken. Do, do, does this have the hallmarks of something that isn't some yahoo who decides to shoot, you know, uh, insulators off a high tension wire? These were attacks that appeared to, by people who appeared to know exactly what to shoot and where to shoot to do a, a maximum amount of damage. That suggested somebody was, what, doing a dry run for a greater attack at some point in the future? Or, or what was the ultimate goal of, of, of pulling off this kind of attack? Well, that possibility, um, dry run possibility, cannot be ruled out. Um, look, if, if one, uh, like you say, uh, liquored up Yahoo, uh, just fired his pistol into a substation, one substation, he might do some damage or even knock out the power momentarily. But the grid is designed to feed every user from at least two directions. Right. Okay. The a lot of people don't know that. that. They don't know if a power days, pole gets knocked down, that in, in many cases you don't even see the power do more than blip because it then comes from the other direction. And, and that happens even at the, at the household level, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. But here in the North Carolina attacks, and this is what makes them especially troubling, is that um, they were um, coordinated, they appear to be coordinated attacks on two nearby but two separate substations. And knocking both of them out is what, killed the power for so long. Um, look, we have a lot of security issues uh, in this country uh, with uh, rising crime rates, uh, uh, an almost a non-existent border. I mean, uh, you've seen the same news reports I have where scores of people have in the flood of humanity pouring across the southern border uh, scores of people have been apprehended by by um, border patrol personnel who are on the terror watch list. Yep. But those are the ones that have been apprehended. At the same time, they report that thousands are what they call gotaways. They um, they they have no idea who they are or why they're in the country or where they've gone. So. Serious attention needs to be <laughs> paid, certainly to the border, but also to grid security. There are a lot of rules and regulations in place, and there are some stockpiles of spare transformers. But all of that needs a hard, clear-eyed relook in light of these growing threats and bigger threats. I mean, scientists, space scientists, continue to express concern about the devastating damage that could be done by uh, what they call a solar geomagnetic disturbance. An EMP. Large solar storm. Um, Or EMP. EMPs are electromagnetic pulses created by the high-altitude detonation 
um, of a nuclear warhead, not detonated with the idea of, you know, smashing physical property on the ground, but way up in the stratosphere uh, for the purpose of sending out a pulse that would uh, damage and, and, and really destroy the workability of all kinds of electric equipment, including transformers and um, electronics, um, the phone I'm talking on right now, and almost everything else that we have come to uh, rely on. But should, regarding... we be... Ken, should we tell Sorry. the utility companies we need to immediately step up security around all these potential weak spots? Because you're probably talking about thousands or maybe even tens of thousands of locations around the country. Is that what we need to do at least immediately, is harden those sites a bit more? Well, hardening the um, security protections, and that would be cameras and and um, physical barriers and patrols, or in some cases, manning. Most of these substations, by design, are uh, unmanned. Uh, right. They're in remote locations. Uh, they uh, they use automated equipment that's controlled from utility control rooms some some distance away, but. Um, there was a significant uh, substation attack, physical attack, launched uh, against, uh, the, the, they called it the Metcalf substation in Central California in 1983. And ever since then, periodically, um, energy regulators and law enforcement uh, officials have um, urged um, utility companies and transmission line operators to increase, review and increase their physical security. Absolutely. Ken Davis is an energy expert, former deputy attorney general for Virginia. Ken, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. We'll be back in a moment. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've been talking the last couple of days about the crazy announcement from the lame duck governor of Oregon, uh, and that's Kate Brown. She leaves office next month. But before she does, she decided to commute the sentences of 17 people. Uh, most of them have been in the general prison population for a while. There were only three people actually left on death row. But... Uh, she didn't bother to do much to notify the victim families in these cases, and she didn't bother to consult the, t the, the voters and ask them, would you like to get rid of the death penalty and take all the people who've ever been sentenced to death in Oregon uh, who are still with us and say, we're going to commute your sentences? I got a note from one of them, and he joins me now, Jonathan Graham. Jonathan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing okay, Lars. How are you? Uh, I want to mention one thing before we get into this, because there's so many crazy things going on today, you wouldn't believe it. A judge in Harney County has just shot down, and yes, pun intended, shot down the ban on 10-plus magazines in the Measure 114 suit. He said that ban will not go into effect in Oregon. This is from the judge in Harney County until the full trial on the issues, which is probably going to happen sometime next year. But for now, the judge in Harney County has shot down the magazine ban. Now, I want to turn to the note you sent me. You said your mother uh, was one of the people who was very much affected by what happened in Woodburn when two men, a, a father and son, decided to plant a bomb in that bank 
the bomb went off and killed two police officers, uh, one from OSP and another from uh, the, from Woodburn. And uh, you said your mom was sort of right at the center of all this. Is that right? Can you can you tell me what happened? Yeah, that's correct, Lars. Uh, they were having kind of in the middle of a failing alternative fuels business, uh, something to do with bio biodiesel. And they went to get an alternative uh, fuel, a small business loan, and the bank had turned them down. So they had placed, uh, to the best of my knowledge, um, they placed that device right outside of uh, the office of my mom, outside the window, under a bush, um, until they were, you know, Oregon State Police found it. Now, your mom was the banker that turned them down, right? Correct. What, What do you make of the fact that these two, the father and son who made the bomb, it blew up, it killed two cops. They were judged by a jury. The jury found them not guilty, not just guilty, but guilty and deserving of the death penalty. And Kate Brown comes along without consulting anyone and just says, uh, I'm going to wave my magic wand and commute their sentence. Well, it's because Kate knows best, right? I mean, it's a spit in the face to the victims of the family. It's a spit in the face to the jury that had to sit through that trial and see all the horrible you know, pictures of everything. And that's what they determined. And... You know, two-thirds, you know, I, I, as you are well aware, two-thirds of the, of the state still is in favor of death penalty. And, you know, she, she knows best. She knows what's good for us simpletons, and, and she's changing what everybody is, is, is going for. I noticed that one of the things that uh, Kate Brown did is she said in her announcement of this commutation two days ago, she said a lot of people in Oregon don't approve of the death penalty, and that's probably true, a lot. But, you know, she didn't say a majority. Because I think she knows, just as I know, to a fair certainty, that a majority of Oregonians do support the death penalty. And there are good reasons to say we know that, and that's why she didn't want to take it to the voters. Would you agree? Correct. A lot of people are against it, but a lot more people are in favor of it. And she was simply afraid, I guess, to say, I want to do this, but if I ask the voters, they're going to tell me no, just like California voters said no about five, about six years ago, even though there was a well-funded campaign to get rid of the death penalty. Uh, is your mom still around? Is she still with us? Uh, she is, yeah. They've, uh, you know, we had FBI at the house, you know, when it happened. We've, they, she, they've since sold that house and are, are living uh, out by a river and enjoying life. And, uh, you know, my heart still goes out to the victims. We, you know, we were very close with Captain Tennant. My mom babysat her, uh, one of their daughters, actually a couple daughters and, and boy. And, you know, it's, I couldn't be, all the feelings in the world go to, go to, go to that Tennant family and obviously the Oregon State you know, fellow gentleman who lost his life as well. Yeah, because Captain Tennant was one of the two that were killed. Have you talked to your mom about, about this latest news? Um, I text her back and forth, and she's been in contact with uh, part of the family, and that's where I got some of the information from. And, you know, she's, she's pissed about it, too. You know, everybody I talk about it is pissed. I, don't, I haven't found one person that's, you know, well, that, that's a great move. You know, I'm glad we have her in office. Do you, uh, there was no no effort to contact your mom? I mean, as much as, as Captain Tennant's family uh, and the OSP officer's family were directly impacted by this, your mom was impacted by this as well. Did, did the governor's office reach out to your mom? No, 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 of course not. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, knowing our, our, our politicians, I wouldn't expect them to, but I would definitely expect them at the very, very minimum to reach out to the Tennant family and the Oregon State um, bomb uh, officer who lost his family or his life. I, I'm shocked that that doesn't happen. But the same thing happened when uh, I call. I don't remember or not, but I called you a while ago and talked about uh, James Anderson. We actually coincidentally were friends with his family too. And Governor Brown is was looking to put him out early as well. And there was zero 
you know, call to, to the victim of, in his story. You know, it, she needs to be calling these victims' families and getting their opinion on it. Well, you know, I, I've faulted my own business. I wish reporters would go to Tina Kotek, the governor-elect, and say, Governor-elect Kotek, do you approve of the commutation of these death sentences? And if so, what are you telling those juries? And what are you telling the Oregon voters who voted for the death penalty not once but twice? And what are you telling to the Oregonians, the majority of whom support the death penalty? What's the message? And if they won't challenge her on that, then what you've got is a lapdog press that isn't willing to do its job because it's a very much a life and death issue. Mr. Graham, thank you very much and the best to you and your family. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And you have a Merry Christmas as well. Thank you. 866-HEY-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Cast a vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. We got some rather major news in about the last 20 minutes or so. And here's what it concerns. That crazy ban on on buying firearms in the state of Oregon is known as Ballot Measure 114. Now, let me tell you what's happened, because this is a big decision. And it comes from the judge in Harney County. And uh, I want to bring you up to speed on where this stands. So you had voters in the November election say yes by a bare majority of about 27,000 votes, less than one percentage point. And I've told you before that if you take Multnomah County out of the mix, which is the Portland area, kind of like taking King County out of the mix in a Washington state decision, the measure actually fails by more than 100,000 votes. Put Multnomah County in, and all of a sudden the measure passes by 27,000 votes. What I'm suggesting to you is that while the measure did eke out a bare majority in five of the 36 counties, in one of them, the majority was so big that it overrode the no vote in the rest of the state. Now, I know that that uh, that grinds on a lot of you. It grinds on me. Same kind of thing happens in Washington state. You have a ballot measure vote. The whole state says no. King County says yes. And you get to suck it because because King County calls all the shots. So what happened was a number of groups went right to court and they said this measure 114, a ban on buying guns that would be in effect as of a week ago. It was supposed to go into effect last Thursday. Thank God it did not. The judge in this case, uh, Judge Ratio, uh, in Harney County, Oregon, of all places, uh, and from what I hear, the judge is a relatively liberal guy. But he looked at this thing and said, this thing violates the state constitution's prohibition on taking away the people's right to, as the Oregon Constitution puts it, keep and bear arms for the defense of themselves and of the state. It, it is worded, in at least in my opinion, much better than even the federal constitutional amendment in Amendment Number 2. Right. This is Section 120 and uh, sorry, Article 1, Section 27 of the state constitution. So this wasn't decided based on the Second Amendment. It was based on the state constitution and that temporary restraining order kept it from going into effect, which the other lawsuits that were brought in federal courts that were brought under the U.S. Constitution did not do. So Measure 114 
has been on hold since last Thursday when it was scheduled to go into effect, except that parts of it, there were questions from the state of Oregon. The state of Oregon, which is not under Ellen Rosenblum, the attorney general, acting in the best interest of the people. So the state said, well, what about the rest of it? Can we, can we let the rest of it go into effect? Now, a lot of this is in legal language, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is one of the most problematic parts of Measure 114 is it says, in the state of Oregon, from this point going forward, every single gun capable of holding more than 10 bullets or 10 shells, 10 rounds of ammunition, is illegal to sell. You can own it if you already own it at the time the law goes into effect, but you effectively can own it and use it at your own house. And that's it. Every other place in the state, it is. it makes you a criminal if you go anywhere with that gun that holds more than 10 rounds. Well, guess what the judge has done? The court will issue a preliminary injunction under the Oregon Rule of Civil Procedure on Ballot Measure 114, Section 11, known as the Large Capacity Magazine Prohibition, until a full trial can be held on what was known as the Complaint for Declaratory and Injunctive Relief. When somebody says, I'm going to bring a lawsuit, well, this is what a lawsuit is, a complaint for declaratory and injunctive relief. It's legal language for when somebody says, I'm going to sue and stop that. That's what they did. They sued to stop Measure 114, which includes a whole bunch of crazy provisions, including you have to get a permit to buy a gun. In other words, a permit to exercise a state and federal constitutional right. It'd be like, to me, it would be like saying you have to get a permit to go to church. You have to get a permit to own a Bible. You have to get a permit to engage in free speech. Oh, my goodness, I've got a talk radio show. What am I going to do? Do I have to go get a permit to be able to speak in public, to talk on the radio? It's one of the craziest ideas you'd ever consider. But, and then on top of that, to get the permit, you have to take a class. You say, fine, where do I take it? And the police say, well, it doesn't exist yet. And we're not quite sure when it's going to exist. And you begin to smell a rat. And the rat is... You wanted to ban guns outright, but you knew you couldn't get away with it that way. So you said, well, we'll require everybody to have another background check on top of the state police background check and the federal background check that you already have to have to buy a gun. We want another background check. And then you have to take a class, including a live fire exercise, which, by the way, nobody has figured out yet. They say, we have to take this class and know everything about federal gun law, state gun law. You have to know about suicide. You have to know about homicide. You have to know about all these other things that are included in the class. And you have to do a live fire exercise where you go to the range and fire some rounds. You say, well, what gun can I use? Well, you're not allowed to use a gun. Well, what am I supposed to do? And I I kid you not, some of the people behind Measure 114 literally said, well, maybe they can demonstrate their ability to lock and load, as they called it. Um using a plastic gun. I mean, this is how lunatic the left is to push these kinds of things. But the judge has now said, until we have the full hearing, the trial on the complaint, on the lawsuit that was brought, uh, that's it. You're, you're going to have to, uh, you have to wait for that. And that, I would predict, is going to be months into 2023. So that's the good news today. A federal, a state judge, I should say, in Harney County, has issued an order saying there is an injunction against especially that part of Measure 114 that involves any gun 
or magazine capable because this doesn't just include guns because in the case of shotguns, there are shotguns that have a plug in the magazine, but the plug is easily removed and they can hold more than 10 rounds. That means the gun itself is illegal because the magazine that is physically attached to the gun and necessary for its function holds more than 10 rounds. You say, well, does that make the gun illegal? Yes, it does. And is that a constitutional problem? Yes, it is. And now the judge has ruled that the magazine ban will not go into effect until a full trial is heard. Now, look, I've covered lots and lots of trials, criminal trials, civil trials over the years. This could go on literally for years. In fact, that knucklehead, the guy who's, thank God, leaving as district attorney of Deschutes County, John Hummel, said, well, we'll have this resolved by the courts in two or three years. Like, yeah, no big deal. Sorry, sorry, citizens, you lose your constitutional rights for two or three years, but you'll eventually get them back. I'm so glad to see John Hummel leave in Deschutes County. He, he has been a disaster as a prosecutor, maybe not as big a disaster as some of the other DAs in the Pacific Northwest, but he is a big disaster. And to have him talk so blithely about, well, citizens will lose their rights, but they'll get them back in a couple, three years. Can you imagine such a thought? In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HAY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Vote in our Twitter poll the question, should someone born a man be allowed in a women's only self-defense class? The Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Let me remind you that this segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately, no showing, no hassles, and you get to pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Our Twitter poll today, and this has to do with a man I talked to earlier today on the air, a man who runs a uh, an MMA and jujitsu studio on the coast. And uh, he decided to have a free women's self-defense class. And he invited women and young girls to show up. And he did. And then he started getting beat to pieces because the woke crowd out there said, hold on a second. What about men who now identify as women? He said, this is for women only. And he even got a warning letter from the state from the Bureau of Labor and Industries. You know, the folks who went after the cake shop because of the gay wedding cake controversy. And they kind of put a shot across his bow and said, hey, watch out. You know, you're not in trouble yet, but you could be. Is that the kind of intimidating situation you want to be in? So our Twitter poll, should somebody born a man be allowed in a women's self-defense class? I would say no. You can vote any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, I told you a few minutes ago, a judge in Eastern Oregon, in Harney County, has decided that the lawsuit against Measure 114, uh, which is the gun ban, uh, that has not gone into effect. It was supposed to have gone into effect last Thursday. Thank God it did not. The judge had put a temporary restraining order on parts of it. Well, as of today, he has put a an injunction against the so-called magazine ban. This is the one that says that if you have a gun magazine, the thing that holds the bullets, for those who don't own guns, um, if it holds or is capable of holding more than 10 rounds, then it is illegal to sell that. It is illegal to transfer the ownership of it. 
Uh, you can own it if you already own it at the time the law goes into effect, but otherwise it is illegal to possess it, and you may possess it in your home and, for the most part, in your home only. And then when you're gone and you die, it can't go to anybody else. Let's go to uh, the phones now. I'm curious what people think of this development. Troy is on the line listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Troy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Lars, hey, thanks for taking my call, first-time caller. Thank you. Um, I just want to ask about the gun gig. If somebody gives me a gun, do I still have to have and go through that permit class in Oregon? Under this, if uh, the transfer of that gun is illegal unless you go to a federal firearms license holder, and you say, I would, my friend would like to give me a gun. And uh, you say, okay. Um, you, you both fill out uh, a form. Both of you get background checked. And then, and only then, if both of you pass the background check, and by the way, there are about 40,000 people sitting in line waiting to clear background checks right now. If both of you pass the background check, then the gun transfer can happen. Otherwise, it's an illegal transfer of a gun. Right. Okay. And you, you've broken the law, and so is your friend. You both get to go to jail. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Uh, it's it's uh, it's crazy how it's all going. But um, so that's the answer to your question. Do you have another? Yeah. Um, this this injunction that's going on now. Yeah. So if I go down to um, that, you know, one of the major gun dealers. Are You're they not going to have much luck. guns? Well, I know that I know that Sportsman's Warehouse announced that they were going to stop on the 8th of December. To my knowledge, they have not reversed that. Are there gun stores like the one that I've been patronizing for almost 25 years? Northwest Armory. Are they still selling? Yes, they are. Uh, But how they're going to go forward, because right now the law is on hold. So that means the law did not take effect, never did take effect and isn't in effect right now. So and if this judge. I'm just going to go based on my experience, Troy, with trials, because I'm not a lawyer or anything like that. When they say, I will not lift this injunction, when the judge says, until the full case has been heard, that's easily months into the new year. I don't know how many months, uh, but depending on how the two sides argue, you know, because I've seen court cases that drag on forever, because one side will say, well, you shouldn't be allowed to put that evidence in. Uh, when we finally have the trial and the other side says we should be able to bring in this evidence and then they have hearings about that and decisions are made i mean you can drag a trial out forever struggle's real man that's that's what that's what that's what we're looking at thanks for the call troy i appreciate it let's go to dan hey dan thanks for listening on the radio northwest network and kbnd what's on your mind yeah i just wanted to talk about 114 i'm glad to see that this uh temporary restraining order has been held up. I was just down in Harney County yesterday and I went in and saw a spent cartridge and bought some ammo and said thank you for them for being part of this lawsuit that helps all of us Oregonians with our Good. Second Amendment right. And um, I just, I'm glad to see that this is slow rolled. I, I have a gun in purchase right now that I was 9500 a week ago, I went back yesterday, two days ago, to check to see where I was at, and I was 11500 in the waiting yep. list. I, I've been hearing an awful lot about that. And at this point, in fact, earlier this week, 
The Oregon State Police stopped giving instant approvals. A lot of people walk in, you buy the gun, they call the OSP yeah. and they give instant approval. And our newsroom for our flagship station, KXL, reached out and said, hey, what's going on? And the OSP said, oh, we had some kind of computer glitch. They wouldn't explain what had happened, but they, they, they are now back, I guess, to giving some instant approvals. But as I understand it, there are now about 40, 35 or 40,000 people sitting there waiting in line. Anything else, Dan? Yeah, and so then how does that work with the federal? Isn't there like a federal law that says after three days you're supposed to be able to there, fire There up? is. The new Measure 114 will get rid of that three-day rule and say you don't get uh-huh. the gun till you clear. And if it takes two years for you to clear, then you don't get the gun. But that law is not in effect right now. And so it's, it's been yeah. held up. That's what they call the Charleston loophole. And it's really a goofy uh, objection, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the gun store I've always done business with, I've only rarely had a, a, an approval held up for any length of time. And I'd, I've said to him, well, after three days, you can release it to me. And, and most gun stores will say, yes, we can, but we're not going to because they don't want the liability if they happen to hand off a gun who's, to somebody who's a convicted felon or some have some other problem. Well, the liberals want to close that loophole, even though it, it really isn't. None of this, none of what is in this law is going to change crime one little bit. But what it will do is instantly make a whole bunch of people in the state of Oregon into criminals. It'll say the gun you possess makes you a criminal. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and this, this kind of law, the criminals are criminals because they don't obey the law. So, you know, I would love to challenge people like John Hummel, who was one of the few DAs oh, yeah. that supported it. And you say, hey, John, you say this is going to deal with gun violence. Can you tell me the last gang banger? who actually went into a gun store and filled out a Form 4473 and went through a background check and bought his gun before he went out to do the drive-by. I mean, this, this is why I think John Hummel is about six kinds of idiot, and he shows it on a regular basis. I've also asked him if he'll come on the show. I'd be happy to let him prove me wrong that he's not six kinds of idiot, but until he does, I'm going to believe that he is six kinds of idiot. In any case, it's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Coming up in a moment, should China's TikTok app have an age rating or even be banned in the United States? Yep, the Congress is taking action on it. We're going to talk about it coming up next, and then I'll get to more of your phone calls and your emails on the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I'll do that in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. You can still send me an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And one of the things I can tell you is that while I do participate in social media, I mean, we've got a parlor account, we've got a getter account, we've got a truth account, we've got a Twitter account, we've got Facebook page and all that, I do not participate in TikTok. So I guess you could say I don't have a dog in the fight unless you're a particular lover of TikTok. Frankly, TikTok has some some good stuff in it. Also has a lot of garbage in it as well, except that I've always viewed it as a uh, Chinese communist way of spying on the country. So I decided to bring on Tristan Justice to talk about some of the changes that appear to be headed for TikTok uh, if America gets its way. Tristan is the Western correspondent for The Federalist. Tristan, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Is TikTok a Chinese spy app? <laughs> well, well, they, uh, they'll tell you they're not. But I mean, talk about a Chinese-owned company that's owned by ByteDance, which is a Beijing-based company owned by the uh, affiliate with the Chinese Communist Party, and so it's got 
uh, now has more than 130 million users across the country, and now they're harvesting uh, this data on those devices uh, and, and sending them back to Beijing. And so I think it's pretty, pretty clear, cut and dry, that it is a, a Chinese spyware app, and of course, it's being used to undermine American interests. Okay, and we just saw, in fact, the latest big development, hardcore development, the U.S. Senate passed legislation to ban TikTok from U.S. government devices. Isn't this what Donald Trump was suggesting some time ago? Well, it seems pretty late. And I actually, you know, considering, considering how, how, how pervasive TikTok has become and, and how widespread it is across the country and how much not only data is sending overseas, but how much it's, it's undermining the, the cultural fabric of our country, um, I think there's a good case to be made that TikTok should be banned in the U.S. entirely. I mean, what happened to Vine? I'll go for that. Ago? Hey, Tristan, just to let you know, I'll go for that. Ban it altogether. I mean, is and maybe I should ask you the broader question. Is there any reason that any app within the United States should have the capability to gather data? And I assume that means sound, maybe even pictures, other kinds of data about the user and send it anywhere except the United States. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about the particulars of, of U.S. policy when it comes to tech in terms of how, how far we want to go with a ban. But I will say that, you know, they're, they're talking up on Capitol Hill. They're describing TikTok as a, quote, digital fentanyl. And, and I don't think I could come up with a more accurate term to describe an app that is not only extremely addictive, but also inflicting harmful content on its users. You have uh, you, you, these adolescent teens who are getting this on these apps, and, and there's studies out there showing that these teens are exposed to anorexic content, uh, promoting anorexia within uh, three seconds on the app, if not within the first half hour. And so, uh, and it's not only anorexia, uh, you have children being exposed to mature content, uh, you have children being exposed to sexual content, you have children being exposed to uh, transgender ideology, you have children being exposed to all these different wide array of, of, of mature content. It makes no sense why a 12-year-old should be on TikTok for hours at a time and for, for uh, several days a week uh, when there's so many other ways for a child to productively use their time. And instead, we're getting, um, we're, we're, these children are just getting sucked into these with these uh, wormholes on TikTok and spending hours on it on them. And it's, it's, it's addicting and it's afflicting harmful content. So one of the easiest things to do, I, I guess, would be to say, uh, we want the people who provide this through the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store, uh, uh, you know, are the two primary means that people get apps. Say, you've got to restrict this to 17 plus uh, for, for mature audiences. And that means that a kid can have it if he wants, but he's got to get mom or dad to sign off. Does that make sense? Well, it makes a lot of sense. And, of course, there's different issues in terms of, you know, how widespread are our, our, our parents really going to be responsible gatekeepers of their children's content. I mean, I know I was downloading apps that probably weren't for 14-year-olds when I first got an iPod touch. Um, uh, but, I mean, that's why parents have, are, are really the center of our cultural fabric, and parents are the gatekeepers to what their children uh, uh, are, are able to, to be exposed to, as they should be. And so, uh, and that's why we need, to, we, we need to cultivate responsible uh, parents in this country who can watch what their children are exposed to and, and, be that, and serve that gatekeeper function that, unfortunately, is being lost and lost uh, more and more, and it's going uh, to teach teachers in the educational system. You know, uh, Tristan, I'm with you. That, that, you know, parents should be observant. But I, I'd ask you the question, when you were 14 years old and you were downloading apps that you knew your parents wouldn't, uh, wouldn't approve of, you didn't exactly walk up to mom and dad and say, hey, by the way, I downloaded that app you didn't want me to download, right? <laughs> Well, I also got lucky having three older brothers, and so I was on MySpace by the time I was in fourth grade. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I, I think there we need, uh, of course, 
of course, my case also speaks to how every case is different, right? And so uh, with the, whether these companies uh, lift the age limit for TikTok, how effective that's going to be, I don't know. I think the more important thing here, though, is, is that, that is, is the message that these apps are not for children. They're not for kids to spend hours at a time on uh, being exposed to, to, to a wide array of content that is going to afflict them for life. And there may be a way to get this done. You'd almost think that some of the companies, especially if, for the most part, these companies are based on on advertising and the use of the data they gather to sell to advertisers, right? So, for the most part, they're not interested in kids because kids don't have any money, right? It, would it be a big deal right. for the these companies to individually say, or for the app stores to say, we're not going to let uh, children have this. If you're an adult and you want it, go ahead and get it. But if you're a kid, you can't. And frankly, the loss, at least as far as advertising is concerned, is negligible. But the loss in terms of data collection may be significant. I think. I mean, it's an interesting point. I, I, I do think uh, you know there there are ways. I, I think at, at the end of the day, you know, they can lay, they can raise the age limit for these apps. Uh, we can discourage kids from going on them. Of course, kids find their way to the internet, right? Sure. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, no matter what kind of policy you implement, it comes it comes down to responsible parenting. Yeah, it does. Uh, although I guess that would say, is there any effective way for a parent who may not be all that tech savvy, or maybe, uh, to take a child's cell phone, uh, their child's cell phone, and look at it and say, I want to know what all the apps are on it. I, I don't want the ability for my child to hide any of those apps, and then I'm going to police it. And maybe even have a, a model list of these are the apps your kids should not have until X age. Well, every device has some type of uh, parental mechanism. And so you can actually, actually parents can even put phones in, in some type of, of child's modes where it kind of locks you know, every app on their phone that they want to get their phone to their kid uh, to, to play on while they're uh, at some type of doctor's office, whatever. Um, so every device has some type of parental control. I, I'm sure parents can, can uh, work with their uh, cell providers and, 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 and implement different restrictions on certain devices for their children. Um, so, But that, that's just going to have to be something that parents look into. Is this? Do you get the sense that this coalition of 15 Republican state attorneys general that you wrote about at The Federalist sending a letter off to executives at Apple and Google, is that likely to get anything effectively done? I'm not sure. I think it probably. I think there has to be stronger support for this on, on Capitol Hill. I think these big tech companies have shown uh, have shown they don't really care about what policymakers think of them at this point. After 10 years of, of this constant tug of war, I, I think Washington has been behind in regulating these tech companies. Uh, we, we were realizing a little bit too late on some of the different harms that the you know giving so much power to these behemoths in, in Silicon Valley can, can do to the country. Um, and so I, I think there's going to have to be a broader support than 15 attorneys general. That's not to say it's not significant and not important. I mean, it was, it's still a coalition of more than a dozen states demanding they raise raise age limits, and they also threaten to take legal action. I mean, these companies could still be uh, could could still fall under lawsuits from these different attorney generals. So uh, it, it's not insignificant, but I do think there needs to be a, a broader coalition and more. Uh, the support on, on clamping down on TikTok from TikTok and from on Capitol Hill, and I think we're starting to see that, like today, when senators passed legislation from Josh Hawley uh, banning yep. TikTok and, and, and saying you got to get it out of the federal agencies. That's Tristan Justice. He writes for the Federalist. Tristan, it's always a pleasure. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get to your calls next.
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. Now, this segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea, the perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. Should somebody who was born a man be allowed into a women's self-defense class because he now identifies as a woman? I would say no. He should not. Uh, you can answer any way you like. It actually has to do with a, a man we talked to earlier in the day today who runs a jujitsu and MMA studio or school, uh, and he offered up a free women's self-defense class and then began to get all kinds of grief from the politically correct and woke crowd saying, well, you can't do that. What about men who identify as women? They don't need the women's self-defense class. They can go to the men's self-defense class. In any case, he even got a warning shot across the bow from a state agency that has done things like pursue bakeries that weren't willing to bake a cake for a gay wedding, which, by the way, was illegal at the time. To your calls now, let's go to Jay. Hey, Jay, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind today? Well, I agree with on, uh, on you on the gun deal. Yep. I think it was just a couple months ago, somebody bought a gun legally and uh, shot up a bunch of kids at school, and they turned us uh, doing this law. I believe there's bigger people behind these gangs, and pretty soon they're gonna, what they're going to end up doing, they're going to tap into the records of the gun stores, sell them, and then they're going to make simple burglaries in the home invasions. Oh, no, 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 Jay, 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 hold on. You're you're on the right track, but let me give you the specifics. If Measure 114 becomes law, it's been put on hold by a temporary restraining order, but if it becomes law, do you know what it actually requires? This is how lunatic it is. They say a citizen who's law-abiding has to get a permit, has to take a class, then they go buy a gun. At the end of every year, the state keeps track of everyone who bought the gun. And the law requires, Measure 114, if it ever goes into effect, it's not in effect now, it requires that the state make public the names and other personal information of every single gun buyer or every single person who's even applied for a permit to buy a gun. So they're giving the thieves the list already. You don't have to hack into the gun store. You just ask the state. I'd like a list if everybody has bought a gun or got a permit to buy a gun in the last year. And the state of Oregon if this law goes into effect, will actually hand the thief the list. Well, that's, okay. that's true, but I mean, if they went, if they went to a, like a big archive, like a big store, then they know who has the big guns and stuff like that, and they'll go after them instead of a, a, a home invasion, and then you're going to have more people hurt. I think you probably will, and I think you're right. Let's go to Darren. Hey, Darren, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. What's on your mind? <laughs> well, that's a good way of putting it, Lars. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I, I guess my biggest issue, well, actually, I have several issues with this entire measure, but thank goodness we have a judge who has the um, can set aside whatever personal bias or personal opinion that he may or may not have of the law and make an actual uh, ruling that is within accordance of actual constitutional rights of our state and our citizens. Um, now, and, and by the way, by the way, Darren, can I throw into that? I don't know this judge. I've never spoken to him, but I'm told on pretty good authority that he's been a, a lifelong liberal. Now he may have changed his point of view recently, 
But that's even better. I mean, in, in praise of the judge, I don't expect to be able to talk to him about this until the case is over, and maybe he won't even talk then. But if you've got somebody who once was a hardcore liberal but who can read the state constitution and say this law violates the constitution, that's even more admirable, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, follow the letter of the law, regardless of how you personally feel about it. And if he is, and I have heard that, you know, that he had some liberal ties, which is okay. You know, that's his opinion. But at least he's following law. And that's what we need for clarity on this entire issue, because this is a mess. I mean, OSP, um, my biggest issue now with them, I mean, I, I have a couple guns and I'm currently waiting on right now. Uh, I started one and towards the end of November, uh, the first week I had, I was at 6,800 and about 20,000 of people at the time that were trying to purchase firearms. Yep. And in a week's time, I went to, from 6,800 to about 3,900, which, you know, I've bought and I've bought and sold guns my entire life. And I know that, that how quickly they can do these, these checks. And then when this court ruling comes out on December 6th, all of a sudden things start slowing down dramatically. Yep. And I, I even confirmed this with a couple. I have several friends who own gun stores, um, and they even confirmed this. And so then about a week after that, all of a sudden my, my backgrounds are slowing to a snail's pace. And within a seven-day period, I progressed 222 spots. Okay, but can and I tell you something, tell Darren? I think, I think it's just it's the flood of requests to buy guns. And I'll tell you why. The OSP has always said they process about 3,000 permits or 3,000 uh, background checks a day. The number of people buying has gone to you know many thousands more than that per day. So they've fallen behind mostly because there's been a flood of new applications. Now, here's what you really ought to focus on. The state of, uh, state of Oregon is the one that said you have to go through the OSP. Most states, like the state of Washington, say just get a NICS check. NICS is National Instant Check System through the federal government. They could have done that, but they said, no, we're going to run it through the OSP. If they had not done that, there probably wouldn't be a backlog at all. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.